Welcome to episode 54 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Season 3, Episode 3, DPO. IMDb user score, 7.9 out of 10. And the episode featuring Mulder and Scully's first trip to Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. It's written by Howard Morgan and directed by Kim Manners. In a nutshell, this is the story of a troubled teen who gains control over electrical current after being struck by lightning and uses that power to play video games and escalating into hurting those that he believes have hurt him. And in the course of the episode, we see his abuse of power escalate from minor misdemeanors of playing that video game to crimes of passion and revenge until eventually just, you know, getting entertainment from changing traffic lights to cause accidents, which is more severe than you know, earlier just messing with his mom and changing the TV channels and things like that. In fact, even his friend Zero can't seem to ethically anchor him down. The only ethical anchor he has is a genuine desire to impress his formal remedial English teacher, who is now his current wife's boss. So Zero is initially the only confidant he has in this. It's a friend who works at the arcade, but Darren ends up killing him because he assumes that, you know, the FBI would only be investigating him if Zero had told them what was going on. Darren is not as bright as he seems to think he is. This episode is also primarily notable for its guest stars. So Giovanni Ribisi is Darren Peter Oswald, who is probably better known for his roles in Avatar, Saving Private Ryan, Ted 1 and 2, Gone in 60 Seconds, Friends, and That Thing You Do, and a lot more. He's got 91 total credits, several of which were before this. So just looking at what he was in and the roles he had, he was at the stage in his career where Hollywood would have generally known who he was but the mass public around the country would not. And he ultimately had to read for the part twice. Chris Carter didn't think he had enough vulnerability for the role and wanted to keep looking, but the producers had enough faith in them that they brought him back and gave him some coaching and said, okay, bring more humanity to it, do this. And he ended up landing the part, which is great because he actually does an excellent job in the role. The character's home life shows that he genuinely does have things in his past that he can complain about, but that doesn't mean his fantasy future is supported by what's actually going on, or the means that he takes to get there are justified. Now, the second predominantly notable star here is Jack Black as Zero. Now, Black is probably best known for his part in Tenacious D, as well as for School of Rock, Kung Fu Panda, The King Kong by Peter Jackson, and a lot more. Like Ravizi, his 116 credits go back to the mid-1980s, and his personality stood out on set. He's got this very large and bombastic voice, that cuts through, but he does actually like to have fun and seems pretty enjoyable. Uh, apparently there was even a full day where neither Ibizi nor Black were needed for any filming, so the two of them and writer-producer Howard Morgan spent the day playing video games in their mock arcade. Now, Ernie Lively plays Sheriff Teller, who is better known for American Pie 2, Passenger 57, Turner and Hooch, and the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Penn and Teller, the magicians, wanted to appear on the X-Files because they had seen what was going on and they liked what they were seeing, but there was no role for them at the time, so they ended up with a namesake character instead. Now, Karen Witter, who is now Karen Laurie, plays Mrs. Cavite, the former remedial English teacher and object of Darren's affections. At this point in her career, she had many guest-starring roles starting in 1983, and those roles included shows like Sliders, Cheers, One Life to Live, Dharma and Greg, most of uh, particularly her early roles seem to just be, you know, random beautiful woman type of roles. It did take some time before people actually asked her to do some acting. Now, in this one, you wouldn't 
necessarily know how her public career started. She proves that she's very capable of performing in the role that she was cast in. This episode also reinforces Mulder's porn addiction when he finds her picture in one of Darren's porno mags that had been cut out of one of Darren's yearbooks. And in that scene, Scully says that she's surprised Mulder hasn't read that issue yet. He says, oh, he has, but mine didn't come with this. They track it down. I don't know when that scene was written, whether it was before or after Karen Witter was cast, but to many people, Karen Witter may be better known as Playboy's Miss March 1982. So maybe that's coincidence. Maybe that was a direct reference to her past. I don't know. Steve McCash plays her character's husband, Frank Cavite, in his second of four X-Files appearances, playing three different characters. He also appears in Outer Limits, Millennium, Prophet, Stargate SG-1, Harsh Realm, Reaper, Sykes, Smallville, the It miniseries, and a lot more. His previous X-Files role was a patrolman in Ascension, which is the episode featuring Scully's abduction, and he'll return again late in season four. Now, Kate Robbins plays Darren's mother in her first of two X-Files appearances, which joins Insomnia, Little Women, Smallville, and Reaper on her resume. Mar Andersons makes his second and final appearance on the X-Files, following an uncredited role in Dudcom. He was also in Cats and Dogs, Little Women, Cabin by the Lake, Stargate SG-1, and more. Bonnie Hay plays a night nurse in her third of five X-Files appearances. She previously played a field doctor in the Colony Endgame two-parter. She will next appear as Woman in Oubliette, and she plays someone who may or may not be a completely different night nurse in Talitha Kumi. Now, rounding it out, we've got Brent Chapman, Jason Gray, Kevin Cunningham, Aaron Poole, and a few others also have unnamed roles, kicking off full resumes with small parts in a lot of large projects. Overall, this episode focuses primarily on Darren's psyche, and it's kind of the flip side to Spider-Man. He's the teenager who's been to the School of Hard Knocks, gains powers, but doesn't learn that with great power, there must also come great responsibility, and he gets more and more irresponsible. Initially, it seems like he's using his powers in subtle ways to try to not get noticed or not get caught and keep it secret, but he becomes more and more blatant as he uses them. Now, as far as the science of this episode is concerned, there is no Astadorian Lightning Observatory. The facility that's named in this episode was named after Chris Carter's personal assistant, Mary Astadorian. Properly studying lightning is incredibly difficult, particularly if you're researching the ball lightning that was mentioned in that little spiel. A ball lightning, when it's in motion, is like a one of those old KFC Oopy balls, and it tends to destroy anything just near it before it dissipates. It's extremely hard to produce, which is not very well understood at all. The question of why it holds its shape is the big one. So when I was doing my own physics degree, I met researchers in the late 90s who were studying this, but ball lightning could only be dependably created by the atomic batteries in military submarines. It's the only place where they knew exact conditions that would produce these things every time. So when the U.S. military started to decommission those submarines, the researchers bought the batteries after going through what they described as an unbelievable mountain of paperwork. It was not an easy process whatsoever, which is a good thing. They then hired themselves out to do building demolitions, set up the batteries and a camera inside the buildings they were hired to demolish, cranked up the power and filled as much of the ball lightning as they could before the camera was destroyed, and continued this process until they ran out of the batteries. They ended up destroying about half a dozen buildings in their city by the time it was all said and done, because they were one of the cheapest demolition crews out there, and one of the fastest, because they just set this experiment up, set up a camera that would pipe what it was filming through wires well off-site, turn the thing on, and just watch the ball lightning destroy the building it was in. 
So the only clear conclusion that the research came to at that time about what ball lightning is, how it's created, how it it holds its shape, and that sort of thing, is that the existing theories about how ball lightning worked were all wrong because none of them were consistent with what they observed. Now, in another little bit of trivia about what's coming up, this episode uses Hey Man, Nice Shot by Filter as a song through a number of scenes. Now, the frontman for Filter is Richard Patrick, and we'll be hearing a lot more about his older brother, Robert Patrick, later on in the series. Ultimately, DPO, named for Darren Peter Oswald, the main character, is a very watchable episode, but that's due primarily to the performances, particularly with Giovanni Ribisi. And it's that more so than the you know script or the pacing. This is one that needs that performer who can carry this weight, and Ribisi does it very well. It's not a big contributor to continuity, and in fact, the only sign of continuity here is a throwaway line to indicate that they've just gone through something major, in this case, the season opener. So that's about all we have to say about DPO. Now, please feel free to rate the show on iTunes or share it with friends or both, or rate it on some other podcatcher that you're listening to. It does help all shows get noticed. I highly recommend you rate every show that you listen to on a regular basis. Feedback sent to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com could very well be read in a future podcast. And you can join us again in two weeks' time for Clyde Brookman's Final Repose. Thank you for listening. Intro and outro music is Outside Poolside by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content copyright 2015, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.